let me just remind you that if you are in Christ, it is finished. Your, your sin is covered. You could not be more loved than you are loved right now if you are in Jesus Christ. That should fill us with a boldness to run to him in prayer. We come to him and we bring our needs to him because we are his. As a church, uh, it is a heavy week. It's a, it's a mixed week. We are so overjoyed to welcome the bachelors here. Caleb and Leah, we're thankful you're here. Um, you can clap. That's a good thing to clap about. Uh, we also grieve with the Hutchinson family this morning as uh, yesterday we had a funeral for Desmond Hutchinson and celebrated his life. Praise God for his faithfulness. Praise God for his love for Christ and for his word. We grieve with the Adair family who are longtime members of this church and uh, who will ha have a memorial service this afternoon at 4 o'clock. That's right, Daniel, 4 o'clock. Uh, so pray for the Adair family. Let, let's do that now. Let's, let's turn to the Lord in prayer and ask for God's work in our church body. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we come before you, and yes, we, we do pray for uh, the Adair family, even now. We pray that you'd be with them as they grieve. Father, we pray that this afternoon's service would exalt the name of Jesus Christ and that the gospel would be clearly proclaimed. Father, our hearts are heavy with Joan and the Hutchinson family. As Desmond has passed away this week, Father, we rejoice that he knew you. We rejoice that we as a church could have the opportunity to covenant with him while he was here on this earth. A and we now, as this, this season of this covenant comes to a close, we thank you that we believe he is now in your presence, and we believe that the eternal church in time future, we will see Desmond there, and we will get to worship with our brother around the throne. Father, as, as cancer has taken these lives, we're, remembered that we're reminded that there's, there are others in our midst that are battling illness, uh, both seen and not even seen yet. Father, would you give us just a, a trust in you that transcends what our eyes see in this world and what this world comprehends? Father, as we welcome the Bachelor family in, as a church, we want to support them well. We want to love them well. As Caleb comes to shepherd among our elders, Father, we long to follow him well and to submit to his leadership as he leads under your word. Father, we now as a church pray that you would use Caleb among us. May our church body grow stronger because of the grace that you've given to him and because of your word working through him. Father, as, as we go to your word this morning, we are just reminded by this call to, to make disciples. And we would pray for those who we support who are doing that even now. Father, I'm reminded of the Martinez family for Joe and Jane as they serve in Peru. Lord, I thank you that this week the 
some of the, the trauma of that country that, that, that they are in, the turmoil has, has eased, and that there is some normalcy returning to their lives uh, there. Father, we would pray that you would give Joe all manner of discernment and wisdom as he shepherds the flock. Father, as his church has prayed for more elders, Father, we pray that you would give them more elders to serve alongside of Joe and that he would be faithful in raising them up today. Father, as we go to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes to see clearly what your word teaches. Father, convict our hearts where we need conviction, reveal sin and change that is needed in us, we pray. Father, help us to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ even now, even in this service as we open up your revealed word. God, would you change us now, we pray. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you would, imagine with me a story of a fictional man that I'll just call Tim. If your name is Tim here in this room, I'm not talking about you. Uh, I'm hoping you can relate to this character. Tim is a member of a pretty good church in South Florida. He has a wife and two kids. He has a decent job. He loves the Lord. He believes the gospel. It's changed his life. He loves his church, and he wants to be active in his church. And, and Tim knows that disciples of Jesus Christ make other disciples. But honestly, he, he's not comfortable doing what I'm doing right now. He's not comfortable coming up and standing and preaching on a Sunday morning. Uh, Tim is not comfortable really even teaching publicly. He's probably not going to be a primary Sunday school teacher anytime soon. In many ways, he is just a, a regular Christian who reads his Bible, who cares for his family, and is trying to be faithful. Well, here's my question. For a guy like Tim, what does it mean to be making disciples? What does it look like for Tim to obey the Great Commission, which tells the church that we are all to go and to be making disciples who follow Jesus Christ. Friends, I think that if making disciples is merely for those of, who seem to maybe have arrived in the Christian faith, who, who have reached some level of spiritual maturity, well then, Tim will always find a reason to wait to invest in other people's spiritual lives. Maybe today you are waiting to invest in someone's spiritual life. But, but Tim, if he understands that making disciples is what the Bible teaches, is not just what happens from the pulpit, although it certainly happens here, but it's that it's every Christian's job to tell others about Jesus and to help others grow in Jesus Christ. If, if Tim gets that, then, I don't know, maybe he will have another family over to dinner this week and pursue a meaningful conversation with them. Maybe he will stay after the service for a few minutes and, and visit with another member and, and hear a struggle that they are walking through. Or maybe he'll pause and talk to a neighbor at the mailbox and try to bring up his faith in Jesus Christ. You see, 
First point, and I think that disciple-making for our church is an area that I would love to see us grow in over the coming months and years. I would love to see us think well about how do we invest in the lives of other people spiritually? How do, how do we learn to reach out to other people that aren't Christians? And how do we learn to talk about our faith with them? I hope to return to this throughout this year. Uh, but even today, as we come to today's passage, I think this is one of the themes of our passage today. To, to see what Jesus is calling us to. We as the church should be making disciples. Certainly this means that I should be making disciples as your pastor. And I should be using this moment to make disciples. This is a, a key moment in the life of our church. I understand that. But I would argue to you that, that Scripture teaches that all Christians, if you have truly met Jesus Christ, it is part of your job description to be investing in others' spiritual lives, to be making disciples. You see, Jesus works through his disciples to make disciples. That's my main point today. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Jesus works through his disciples to make other disciples. I think this is the point of the text I want to argue today. Let's see it in the passage. If you brought your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11, continuing our study just through the book of Luke. Luke 5, 1 through 11, follow along as I read this morning. We read there, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink but when Simon Peter saw it he fell down at Jesus's feet knees saying depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon do not be afraid from now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. In this story, we see another miracle of Jesus, a miracle of a catch of fish. I wonder if you remember last week, I, I tried to mention to you how one commentator points out that these miracles are really living parables for us. That is, they are their divine illustrations, things that actually happened, but which Jesus Christ, as the creator of the universe, is using to teach us something. They were accomplished by Christ for a purpose. So, so Jesus isn't just some wizard that's walking around and just 
kind of waving his wand and just showing us how powerful he is and let me do this and then this and then this and, and performing miracles on the spot. No, he is intentionally accomplishing each of these miracles for a purpose, to reveal something about himself. And so today, why did he fill up both of these boats filled with fish? What's going on? Well, we can see the key, I think, which unlocks the story right here in the text. Look down at the end of verse 10. You see there at verse 10, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus is calling Simon to be catching men. That is, making disciples. He's setting apart this man for this task of catching men. The word here, by the way, that he uses for catching is a compound word that puts together the word for life and to save. So it's this idea of catching alive. It's an idea of rescuing to live. Simon will be one of the ones who, go out, who goes out and he makes disciples who are rescued to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And so how does this unfold? If Jesus is calling Simon to come make disciples, how does Jesus do it? How does he make that call? How is it that fishermen are called by Christ? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. We'll walk through the story, answer that question. How will Simon catch men? We'll see the task, the power, the posture, and the cost of how this will happen. All right? Well, in one sense, just as we begin, let me just note, there is a uniqueness here to what we see happening. Simon will be renamed Peter. So you know this name, Simon Peter. And in the history of the church, Simon Peter was used powerfully by God to build this church. But friends, the essence of what I think we see in the pattern of this story, how God catches men, how he makes disciples, is still applicable to us today. And I want you to see that in, in this passage as we look at this commission, look at the story. How will Simon catch men? First, number one, the task is teaching. The task is teaching. So the story starts with the crowd pressing in on Jesus. Look at verse one. And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. What a place to start. Even in the way that the, the context of this story is set, we see something. We see that Jesus Christ is already fishing for men. That the people are swarming about him. Here's the picture. Jesus is the first fisherman who already has a boat that's being flooded by fish. That's what's happening. And so what does Jesus do with all these disciples? Well, he teaches them. Do you see it? Being there on the Sea of Galilee, or as the text calls it, the Sea of Gennesaret, Jesus sees Simon and, and Andrew, and they're cleaning their nets, and he steps into the boat, and he has Simon push out in the boat from the water, and he sits down just off the shore, and he teaches them. By the way, it's interesting here that even from this first moment, Simon's job is platforming the message of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? And here is what Jesus is modeling for future disciples. The people are there, did you see it? To hear the word of God. 
Jesus is teaching them. Verse 3, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Jesus is making disciples by teaching the word of God. All right, let me just pause here. Because some, or many of you in this room, are like my friend Tim. Is that the name I chose at the beginning of the illustration? Tim? Yeah. Tim, right? You're, you're thinking, yes, I believe God's word, but should I be up teaching God's word? Again, there is a public teaching ministry of the word. But friend, do you realize that the Bible calls, us all, calls all Christians to teach the word of God, to minister the word of God to one another? This afternoon, go home and read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It's a great way to spend 15 minutes of your Sunday afternoon. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. It's a short passage to reflect on. And it shows how the church as a whole is to speak the truth of God's word to one another in order for the church to grow up in Christ. In fact, it, we see in that passage that there is a, a public teaching job, but the job of the public teacher is to equip you to then go out and use the truth to build up one another. So, Jonathan Lehman, in his excellent book, Word-Centered Church, says that as the Word of God is, is preached out in a church, that the church is intended to be like an echo chamber for God's Word. He says the church is like a, like a canyon, if you can imagine it, where the Word of God goes out and it reverberates around the church. It bounces back and forth in the, in the conversations and the lives of the body of believers as they hear God's Word taught and then they speak it to one another, applying it to one another's lives. So even as you go out this week, even as you go out and let that reverberate outside of the walls of this church to those who need to hear God's word, you are part of that echo chamber reflecting on what you are learning through God's word. Jesus taught those who came to him. And then the apostles taught those in the early church, both formally and informally. And they instructed that Christians are to go out and to echo that word out into the world and around one another. Our task as we seek to make disciples is to do the same thing. We are to reverberate God's word in our church and outside of our church. So friends, invite someone to lunch or pause at the mailbox or, or ask a new friend on a play date or go for a drive with your teenager. And in all of it, weave God's word into your conversations. Martin Luther said, the ministry of the word belongs to all Christians. Who are you helping to grow as you talk about God's word in your life? Well, how will Simon catch men? Number two, secondly, we see the power is Christ's. This, by the way, is perhaps the, the central point of this story. Verse four, after Jesus finished teaching, he told Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets let down your nets for a catch. And then notice that, that Simon uh, responds respectfully by addressing Jesus as master, but he kind of gives this like verbal sigh, right? Almost as, as if his efforts have already been spent. 
they've worked at fishing all night. The night, by the way, would have been the ideal time for a fisherman to go out and, and to catch on the lake. These fishermen surely knew their trade. They had gone out already, and they knew that there just wasn't a catch that night. And yet, Simon chooses to believe in the power of the word. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, any catch that now happens at this point, he knows will not be because of his skill or because of his hard work. And yet he obeys. It's, it's, not, it's not his ingenuity or his, his labor that brings the fish in. No, quite the opposite. His labor, his toiling has brought nothing. Church, what a, what a powerful illustration Christ is giving to us in this moment. I wonder, I wonder just as I think on this, if later on down the road, if Simon would reflect back on this day that he was called to go make disciples. And I wonder if he'd reflect back on how he, uh, how he wasn't able to do this. He wasn't even able to catch a single fish. I'm sure it wasn't lost on his, him, his inability that day, even as a fisherman, to catch fish, much less his ability to catch any men. Same is true for us, friends. God's word teaches us that mankind is blind in our sins. We are blind to Christ on our own. Scripture teaches us that we as sinners have hard hearts against God on our own. That apart from God's work in our hearts and lives, that, that we are separated from God. Friends, I think you you probably know this to be true in your own life. If, if you're here today and you're, you're not a believer, th then what I'm saying is that apart from Christ working, you cannot see Jesus Christ as beautiful and to understand his gospel. This is true of you, it's true of me, it's true of all of us. You can think of how this is true just in your own life. Surely there's been times that you've been blinded or that you've had a blind spot in your life to an area, perhaps an area of wrong that you're doing. Surely you can think of a time that that's happened. Well, th just imagine that what the Bible says is that is actually happening far much more than you actually realize. That, that we, apart from God's work in our hearts, are completely blind to our need for Christ and completely blind to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so, as we go out as fishermen now, as we go out as those making disciples, what is our chance from God working. If we, if sin is a, has a blinding effect on human beings, what is our possible chance to see any harvest apart from God working? Christians, as you, you go out, you need to realize this. Your toiling will do nothing apart from Christ. Your, your clever words, your, your clever plans, whatever you come up with, Without the power of Christ working, we'll do absolutely nothing. How will Peter catch men? The answer of the text is not by his own power. He can't do it. And yet, when Christ says to let down his net, he obeys. But at your word, I will let down the nets. He, he still obeys. He acts. 
And as Simon acts, he lets down those nets, he then sees the greatest catch of his life. This is no coincidence. It's not like they just happened on this school of fish that just seemed to jump up into the net. No, uh, Luke is, is clear to make sure we see this is not a stroke of luck. Verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish, literally a multitude of fish. Then it's, Luke says, their nets were breaking. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners, to the other boat, to come and help them. Can you, can you picture it? Can you say, come help us. We're, we're sinking here. Our nets are breaking. And, and they came, and, and the, the fish that they had filled up both boats to the point that they began to sink. And then verse 9, this is so evident that all who were with them were astonished at the catch that they had taken. Friends, Jesus Christ is completely sovereign over his creation. We just saw this this uh, last month as we're studying the book of Jonah, right? Jesus can sovereignly direct a large fish to go and swallow Jonah. And here, he can send countless small fish into the nets of these fishermen who couldn't catch anything. But, but the point isn't just that he's sovereign. The point isn't the fish in the story. No, the, the point is in the context of this miracle, is that Jesus is showing Simon how he will catch men. Simon will make disciples not by his work and toiling. Simon will make disciples by the power of Jesus Christ, working in hearts that are dead to Christ. It's not by your power. It's not by your power that you go out and, and seek to share the good news that you believe about Jesus Christ. It's not by your power that you bring up a conversation with a friend or that you pursue investing in someone else. It's not by your power. An entire, an entire night of toiling, to get the comparison here, there's an entire night of toiling by these fishermen produces nothing in Simon's power. And one moment, one second of of Jesus saying, let down your nets. And there is a bigger catch of fish than these men had ever seen. John Piper uh, was helpful as I looked at this text. He pointed out rightly, I believe, that this word for a large number of fish is actually the same word for multitude. It's the same word that Luke will later use in the book of Acts. And he uses the same word with the same man, Peter who taught in Acts 4 and Acts 3 in Solomon's portico. Do you remember the story of what happened there? Listen to Acts 4.4. We read that after Simon preached, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the multitude, same word, of the men that came in came to be about 5,000. I just have to believe this is not a coincidence. There's a link going on here. God's work of drawing men to himself is being foreshadowed. Peter, do you want to see how I will work to catch men? Put down your nets back in the water. Put them down. I'll, sh I'll show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you what this will look like one day. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Christ builds his church. Christ brings in his sheep by his power. Friends, the same is true for us today. Your words this week are insufficient on their own. 
but you can have courage to speak this week because the power of Jesus Christ is in his gospel. Romans 1.16, amen? The, the power is not in what you do. If you want your words to be meaningful this week, parents, if you want to faithfully disciple your children this week, uh, coworkers, if you want to be faithfully a light in your workplace this week, then there must be a, a, a fundamental understanding that God is the one that will work. He is the one that will bring the growth. Even for our church, think about this. Maybe you sometimes think about how will we as First Boynton grow? How will more people join our church? How will more people hear about the, the good news of Jesus Christ here? Well, Scripture says a lot about how we do that, how we let down the nets. But it says perhaps even more about the power, the effectual nature of the spiritual growth that's happening. That that is, it is outside of ourselves. Growing disciples is first of all an act of God before it is ever an act of man. That's what we see here. Friends, if, if you believe this, this should also dramatically shape your prayer life. We should be praying for the lost around us. Parents, you should be praying for your children as you try to disciple them. Awana leaders and Sunday school workers here, you should be praying for those in your ministries. It's God who will work in them. Youth workers, you should be praying for the youth that come to our Wednesday night discipleship hour or our Sunday morning services. Church, we should be praying for our church to grow with new disciples, not just so that we can have more numbers in this room, but so that God would work in the lives of men and women who understand their need for Jesus Christ. What about the Spanish ministry? Where's David or Yazoon? David, stand up. Stand up. Big David. All right. This is David Orizun. Good job. Just stand there for a minute and smile while I talk about you. All right. So David is leading a ministry with members from our church in our building, the other side of our building, every Sunday. Now, listen, do you know this? Good job. Keep standing. You're doing good. <laughs> Did you know that 23% of Palm Beach County is Hispanic or Latino? Did you know that 19%, 90%, that's one in five, of adults in Palm Beach County speak Spanish in their homes? One in five. Now, after the service, while David is eating chili, go find him. Interrupt him. He doesn't need more chili. Interrupt him and, and ask him how many other healthy Spanish-speaking churches he knows of in Palm Beach County. One in five adults in their homes speak Spanish. Ask him and listen to what he has to say and see what kind of mission field we are living on here, right here in Palm Beach County. Go ahead, sit down, David. G give him a hand. Great job, David. Okay, here's my point, though, church. We should be praying for this ministry. We should be praying that, that God will work so that the gospel would go out. It's, it's not fundamentally what David is doing. Yes, God is using David to let down his nets. But it is God who calls men and women to himself. 
We trust him as we drop our nets. We should be a dependent people relying on Christ's power to save. Let's keep moving. Notice number three, how will Simon catch men? Number three, the posture is humility. One reason we know this catch wasn't really a, a stroke of luck was because of the response of, get this, seasoned fishermen that day. Simon was the fisherman. Simon knew that the nighttime was over. Simon had searched the waters, and he knew how to catch fish, and he knew that he had worked hard. And now, get this, a carpenter was coming up to him and telling him to go back out. And so when his boat literally started to sink because of the, the weight of these fish at his feet, Simon knew that what he witnessed could only be supernatural. I pray that we do ministry where we rely on God's word. When he works, we can't point our own gimmicks, our own cleverness, and say, that's what got work here. That's how this happened. No, that we point and say, this, was, this could only be done by God's word. Simon knew that what he witnessed could only be supernatural. And notice this turning point for Simon. It's an unexpected twist. Simon looks at this scene. Luke makes clear that they are still out in the water because later on, in verse 11, they come back to land. So they are still out in the water, and he is looking at this scene, and he doesn't stop and think about the wealth that he's received as the, perhaps the, the greatest fisherman that day with the biggest possible catch that he could bring in. That's not what he's thinking about. He looks at the scene, and he doesn't even think about the fact that his boat is sinking. Can you picture it? There the other men are, like, perhaps bailing water out of the boat. The, the boats are going down. What does Simon do? Can you picture it? Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon Peter sees what Jesus had done, and he realizes that Jesus is not just his master. No, he is his Lord. I believe at this point, Simon understands Jesus is divine. And, and so his response is humility. For he knows that he is a sinner. He is unlike Christ. As Bob Jensen and I were reflecting on this this week, Bob rightly pointed out to Isaiah 6, a similar passage to this. You know the story of Isaiah Isaiah sees the glory of Christ, the second person of the Trinity in Isaiah 6, and he, he falls back overwhelmed by his own sin. And there also, by the way, Isaiah is then reassured and commissioned to go out. It's the same pattern. See it also in Ezekiel. The idea is that Christ uses those who see his glory and then are humbled by their own sinfulness. Reading this passage, I was reminded of the diary of David Brainerd. Brainerd was an American missionary in the 1700s. He gave his life to reaching the Native Americans. 
of Massachusetts and the Susquehanna. His, his journal is powerful and it's, it's moving. Not everything he writes is to be emulated. There's some excesses in it. But, but two themes are really powerful. One is that David Brainerd, as he went out, took the holiness of God very seriously. And second is that he took his own sin very seriously. So in prayer, Brainerd regularly was overwhelmed with God's glory and his own sin. Thursday, May 13th, he writes, I saw so much of the wickedness of my heart that I longed to get away from myself. Do you ever write that in your journal? I never before thought that there was so much spiritual pride in my soul. I felt almost pressed to death with my own vileness. Lord, deliver my soul. This man who took sin so seriously, God used in countless ways. Brainerd saw several hundred Native Americans in difficult tribes come to faith. Brainerd inspired the founding of Princeton College and Dartmouth College. David Brainerd, in his dying years, was cared for and had a significant impact on a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, who would later become one of America's greatest theologians and would reflect on David's humility as fundamental in shaping him. Friends, this world says that your humility is a weakness. That it will slow down your effectiveness. But God's word teaches, even here, that our humility is a means that God uses to accomplish his purposes. C.J. Mahaney reminds us, God is decisively drawn to the humble. Contrary to popular and false belief, it's not those who help themselves whom God helps. It's those who humble themselves. Friends, Jesus here raises up Simon and tells him not to be afraid and then sends him out. How will Simon catch men? His posture is humility. He sees his sin and marvels that Jesus would even approach him. Is this true of you? Do, do you want to make disciples? Are you a Christian who wants to be involved in others' lives for eternal good? It's an eternal investment. Well, then let me ask you, do you see Christ's greatness and marvel at your sinfulness? As we go out as disciple makers, we're called to be this, this humble blend of Christians that, that see ourselves first in need of God's grace. How could you be a disciple maker any other way? Let me just single out one group of disciple makers here. Christian fathers. If you're a father in this room, you're called to lead your family. That is your first area of disciple making. Brothers, as, as you disciple your family, do your wife and children get the idea that you are above reproach? Or are you the kind of leader that is quick to recognize his faults? Have your, have your children ever heard you confess your sin to them? Has your wife ever seen you lead her by showing her what it means to confess sin and repent? If we're to make disciples, we are to have this posture of humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let me just briefly say here as well, I'm talking so much to Christians this morning, 
if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, this, this piece is just so fundamental. You cannot come to Christ and become a Christian. You must come to Christ in humility. The, the good news of the gospel is that we are sinners, that Jesus came and died for us and rose again, and that as we look to him in faith and repentance, in, in humility, then he will cleanse us from our sin. If this is news to you, talk to someone today about this. Well, we should move on. Jesus gives a commission which shows this turning point. Notice what he says in the text here. From now on, something new is starting, Simon, you will be catching men. So this is, this is continuous. It's not a one-time catch. This is a new pursuit for this man. And the passage ends with verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. And when they had brought their nets to land, they left everything and followed him. How will Simon catch men? Fourthly, we see the cost is everything. This call to be a disciple and to make disciples is not a part-time job. For Simon and these three other fishermen, they, they literally left their lives behind to start following Jesus Christ. Christ was physically present in that day and age, and so while he was on earth, they were going to follow him. And this, this radical call of self-denial is, is present throughout Scripture for us too. As, as one commentator points out, this is rightly connected with Luke 14, a, a chapter we'll come to in a little while, which reads this, Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Simon and Peter is just being a living illustration of this to us today. They left everything. Simon modeled for us this, this radical abandonment that every Christian is called to if we are to follow Jesus Christ. True disciples of Jesus Christ are to deny their entire lives in order to follow after Jesus Christ. Or let me say this another way. If there's no area of, there is no area of your life, whether sinful or innocent, there's no area of your life which you should not sacrifice readily in order to follow Jesus Christ and to put under his sovereign lordship. I shared this uh, a couple of months ago, but I was so encouraged by a brother who, who recently faced a chance to lie in his workplace to keep his job. And when realizing that that would bet betray Jesus Christ, he refused to be dishonest and was, he was fired the next day. And he had to go find a new job. Now, now most of us won't leave our jobs today. We won't be like that brother or, or Peter. After all, Scripture teaches us to work. But I wonder, how do you need to grow in renouncing and denying all that you hold on to in order to follow Jesus Christ better? This is a great discussion question for a friend this week as you get lunch with someone this week. How can you grow? What do you need to let go of in order to follow Christ and make disciples? What do you need to leave behind in, to, in order to better influence others and invest in them? Maybe it means you have a little bit less time for your own recreation. Maybe it means that you need to leave behind the, the fear of man in your life and actually talk to someone about what you believe. Maybe if you're a new Christian, you need to leave behind your pride and go public with your faith and be baptized 
join a church. Maybe you need to leave behind your nervousness and just invite someone over to your house for a new friendship this week. Friends, true disciples leave everything behind so that they can follow Jesus Christ. We should conclude. Simon Peter here is a model of leaving behind everything to follow Christ. He denies himself. He embraces humility. And this, this is his origin story. Kind of back here at the very beginning of this man. It's where it began. And where this origin story will end is with a cross. Fox's Book of Martyrs writes this about Simon Peter. Among many other saints, the blessed apostle Peter was condemned to death and crucified as some write in Rome. Jerome said that he was crucified with his head being down and his feet upward, so upside down which he requested because Simon said he was unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as our Lord was. Even in his death, Simon Peter looked to his example. He looked to the great fisher of men. He looked to the one, the only one, who has truly denied everything. Before Peter ever left his nets behind, Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven behind. He denied himself. He took the posture of humility. Jesus Christ did this so that we could become disciples. Friends, if Jesus Christ has done this for us, can we not also obey by his strength? Let us go and make disciples this week. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your call to use us. Father, you could do without us. You, you have the power to work without even involving a single one of us in this master plan for your glory. And yet you decide by your sovereign kindness to allow disciples to be made disciple makers. Father, I pray that you would grow in our local church here a culture of discipleship. Father, I pray that you would give our church a vision and a desire to all join in in investing in one another's spiritual lives. I pray that you would use this to grow us up into the full nature of Jesus Christ, who is our head. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.